Hello and welcome to Movies and Shit. Uh, we are back this week and we are going to do something a little bit different because, you know, we're the hipsters of the website. All two of us who run the website are the hipsters, so it's not good. Of our own website. <laughs> uh, we, we choose a lot of things and look, the premise, and I'll never shy away from it, was to always pick things that are very important to us, whether they're popular or not. We certainly go to the popular, uh, you may have seen our It review, uh, we did It Chapter 2, we did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, did Game of Thrones when it was yeah, uh, in Basically, Vogue. Any, anything that we have strong feelings about for better or worse every now and then the hipster and the mainstream will overlap and this is one of those cases so you know when we talk about the the great pantheon of great television i think there's a couple shows that continually reach that list um and it's kind of divided into like uh early 90 or like late 90s 2000s to like the middle of the last 20 years that we've been in right um i would think that there are two shows that straight up define the post sopranos wire golden age of television i think one of those is uh matthew weiner's Mad Men, which we are huge fans of and i hope at a later date max you and i will really deep dive into why that show is particularly amazing uh yeah. the other is a, a, a channel mate right uh amc also kind of got on the map because they won two punch with Mad Men and vince gilligan's breaking bad now i know like uh breaking bad's been over for six years oh there's a movie coming out in october in just a few short weeks and mm-hmm. i actually started rewatching the show and, uh, you know, I brought this up a little bit earlier off mic, but let me repeat it because I think it's an interesting thing. People like us, not us specifically, but the people who are just obsessed with television uh, or, or really find something resonated uh, in those TV shows, we have a tendency to go back and rewatch these things ad nauseum to the point where like I watch movies with Dolores and she's mad at me because I am like nailing the dialogue, but also the inflection of the delivery. And I yeah. assume that's fucking annoying, but Right. Breaking Bad has to be one of those shows, man, seriously, where I've watched it so many times when it was airing that it yeah. is seared into my uh, my consciousness. What's your experience it's... with Breaking Bad, sir? Oh, yeah. Um, Breaking Bad, I think I came in around season two and I caught a random episode because like you, you say that like we talk about Breaking Bad now as being this fucking landmark television show this you know cultural touchstone everybody knows breaking bad everybody's seen breaking bad but it wasn't always like that uh season one season two breaking bad it was still finding its footing it was still finding its audience i think it was netflix that really like put it on the map like people came to it later yeah if i may just very quickly let's let's be very clear even though the footing was was uh, wonderful in season three and season four that's when the show really started firing still a minor hit yeah it really was that break between season four and season five netflix got it everyone caught up and that's when it became this juggernaut it wasn't the sopranos which is always this fucking juggernaut it came late right sorry like a best kept secret uh it was kind of like the hipster uh, situation until it wasn't um it's sort of like when i saw napoleon dynamite before anybody else did you know before (laughs) it was popular i was so proud of myself at age 12 or whenever that came out that's another one Uh, i haven't watched in about 15 years maybe it's time to go back on that but that's not today man (laughs) yeah we can revisit that but yeah no breaking bad um so i think the first episode i ever saw was in season two an episode called peekaboo um and it was such a uh a grimy textured uh made me feel sick to my stomach episode of television um just completely separate from me understanding what was going on like i knew the dad from malcolm in the middle uh, made meth and that's all i knew about the show and peekaboo is like one of those sort of standalone episodes like almost a bottle episode where this character is you know just stuck in this situation um and it just hooked me from there and like from there i just like went back to the beginning started watching it which listen you brought something up that needs to we need to put this on front street immediately which is like the premise for this show for us people who were kind of in the know early on was how from malcolm in the middle was making meth and yeah. like to, to to cranston's credit which he won what four fucking best actors for this show like people know it that's how good of an actor he is because up until breaking bad i had no idea that i knew he was wonderful i loved malcolm in the middle yeah no idea he had this in him uh and so it was such a strange premise i think that premise ultimately hurt the show early on because no one was like i'm not gonna watch fucking malcolm in the middle sequel no <laughs> gives a shit about that uh but whenever we ended up coming to it we came to it and we loved it and then the rest of the world caught on because you know we're hipsters and we know shit before everyone else uh mm-hmm. and it, it really has endured it ended 2013 right so six years yeah. it's now ended it spawned a fucking almost arguably better spin-off show uh and now yeah. is going to come out with a netflix series uh, in october mm-hmm. yeah. uh so 
Sorry, I thought you had something to say. I was like, talk shit about Better Call Saul. No, uh, it's all good. Uh, so, so I decided, look, I'm, uh, we're about three weeks away from the premiere of that thing, and I should probably get on this if I intend to watch all of it. One thing I like about Breaking Bad, number one, it ain't like a, like a network. It ain't lost. Not 127 episodes of it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, you can bitch it pretty quickly if you want to, and that's what I set out to do. Interesting, though, because I have not watched Breaking Bad at all. I mean, I may have watched Ozymandias or something, like one-off, because I'm like, let me just see some good filmmaking. But I have not watched the show from season one uh, as, as a full rewatch since it aired. So I think oh, the really? last time – well, I think the last time I saw the first season was – 2009 or something like it's been a minute yeah so it was really interesting to go back um and to kind of get like you know fresh eyes on something that i thought i already knew even though seasons three through five very seared into my brain and i like know exactly what's going on with it right uh so i started and uh, at this point i I guess i just want to kind of go into it it's a show that i think rightfully deserves every bit of acclaim that it has it's very interesting to know what the show was early on compared to what it ended up being not that it was ever bad. I don't think it was ever bad. I think it was always really good. I think it was always swinging at a solid eight out of 10 in those early seasons, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, I don't think, even though you saw a the potential there, I don't yeah. think anyone was prepared for just how wonderful the show would end up being, not just from yeah. the writing. But I think I've told you before, the legacy of Breaking Bad, I think beyond the writing and beyond the acting, is that I think it might be one of the most beautiful shows ever shot. I think it really started to turn the tide um, and, and shrink the, the gulf between feature films, right? And mm-hmm. what you could do on television. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very like auteur-y uh, show. Um, it's definitely got a very trademark um, sort of look and style. It's got this sort of sickly green and yellow tint to it. It's got like the, the love like mounting the camera on an object like a shovel or a a barrel or something like that to give you like POV, like kind of trunk shots, like Tarantino trunk shot, but like done differently. There's like some really, really wonderful filmmaking, but always very specific to that show. Like it had a very established uh, visual language from the get go, which I love. Um, I did want to bring up like briefly that like Breaking Bad is a special show to me because it coincided uh, with me becoming aware of like television criticism. And this is like the time that I started reading Seven Wall and AV Club um, was doing recaps for it weekly. Uh, Donna Bowman, who I don't think is working anymore in TV uh, criticism, but she did a wonderful fucking job for AV Club. So if you are, you know, rewatching it, check it out. Like it's a great companion piece. Like it's very thoughtful. Seven Wall too. I think he wrote a whole book, didn't he? Yeah, just released a book. It's a companion book. He also did it with The Sopranos. I haven't yeah. got it, but I plan on reading it before the El Camino mm-hmm. comes out because it's really interesting to me. But that's what I'm saying. Like the idea of there were a few shows that were sort of big bangs in terms of television criticism. It's not that yeah. people weren't talking about stuff beforehand. It's just that there was never, I think the, we came up with the internet was at the right time and there were these people who were hungry to talk about it. And then Breaking Bad was the next level of that. I, I, I really feel like it was, man. I also yeah. have a very special place in my heart for Breaking Bad because of how it relates to Mad Men, mm-hmm. which... I would be like, Mad Men's the best fucking show on the air. Then Breaking Bad would come out. I'm like, Breaking Bad is better than Mad Men. Then Mad Men would come back. I'm like, Mad Men yeah. is better than Breaking Bad. And it was just like amazing that that was the worst problem I had with both shows. Because yeah. I had to figure out which one I liked more at any given moment. Uh, and they're completely different. So. You know, uh, we were talking on last Where's My Burrito, actually, that, you know, if, if Fleabag or if Barry wasn't going to win, at least it went to another show that like was as equally great. And that's, that's what I'm saying. It was very similar to that where I'm like, oh, it's well, just an arms race of great dramas, you know? Let me ask you, though, uh, years removed from both shows, uh, where do you land on that side of the... Breaking Bad is the Breaking Bad is the sexier watch. Mad Men is cl- clearly the better show. I mean, which is funny because Mad Men has like ten times the sex appeal of Breaking <laughs> but Bad. You know We're what I mean? About how like Breaking Bad is like the least sexy show I've ever seen. I think, but it's great. But at the same time, like it, it, I don't know, there's something about it where you're just like, it, it was the more thrilling show, I guess. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, for sure. It had like genre. It had violence. It had comedy crime. and still yeah, had like, the character pathos that you kind of needed and wanted but like mad men is the bigger achievement i i can easily say that um doesn't mean i don't like i i, I will tell you again first run through breaking bad was definitely better in my mind because i enjoyed hmm. watching it more but that's not to say that i mean whatever you i think you're on the same level right mad men 
Yeah, Mad Men, Mad Men all day, baby. But you know, that's not to anything against Breaking Bad. I think that this is the first uh, small criticism because, like, again, like I can only find small criticisms of sure. the show. Is that when you put the two side by side, like Mad Men was the show that haunted me. Like that's the one where I was like, you know, up two days later thinking about like, why did Peggy jerk that guy off in the theater, or why did Don like walk out of his kid's birthday party and go like sit under a bridge. Like, what was motivating that? Breaking Bad, like, it's pretty much on Front Street. Like, there's not a lot to think about. Like, it's well-informed, it's wonderfully written, but it's not thematically, like, engaging past the surface level to me, if that makes sense. You know what Breaking Bad but was? it doesn't Bre- have to be. Well, Breaking Bad did this thing where, like, uh, weird detour. There's an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine where they're like, if you want to get the respect of your subordinates, you need to be able to command their attention, right? And all they kept doing was, like, uh, you need to be able to be in the middle of a sentence and then stop and pour a glass of water without saying a goddamn word, okay? Mm-hmm. Finish pouring that and then finish your thought. And be like, that's captivating as hell. That was that was like Breaking Bad. Like, they would take these moments where, like, there was nothing else going on in the world. You know what I'm saying? Except right. for what was on that fucking screen. Now, it, when you were watching it in the confines of that television screen, it was the best thing in the world. But when it ended, I was... I, I was gone. I, you know what I mean? It didn't linger with me in the same way that Mad Men did. And I totally yeah. agree with you on that. Uh, and we'll get into Mad Men. I do hope that eventually we do a victory lap around all the, you know, so-called great, great shows. But mm-hmm. um, rewatching this, I thought it was interesting because, yeah, like Cranston is, is rightfully uh, given all the credit in the world for how wonderful he is. But it is uh, such a different show while still being Breaking Bad. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like when you, uh, there's like a JV team and then a varsity team. First season of Breaking Bad's JV. Like, it's good. It's got the same colors. It's got all the same shit going on, but it is a different show from what it ended up being. Um, yeah. But I like it because it's, it's a show that was always, um, it was always very much rooted in what happened in those early seasons, right? And just, yeah. just from a writer's standpoint, they did a lot of setup and uh, a lot of uh, world building in those first seven episodes, right? Which is a writer's strike season as well. I think that's something important to talk about, right? Yeah, and uh, if, if that writer's strike had not happened, we should note that Jesse would not have lasted past that first season. A different show. Uh, yeah. Jesse ends up being the emotional heart of the entire show. Yeah, <laughs> Without it's, it's him, like, it doesn't work. Yeah, like Jesse gets lost and Walt's like last act is to save Jesse pretty much. And you can argue like why that why else that might happen. But right. like Jesse and Walt and their relationship, their dynamic, like their conflict is what drives all of the drama or most of the drama for that show. Well, and thank you for actually bringing that. Cause that's kind of where I wanted to swerve, which is that relationship in general, which in my memory, I, I guess had romanticized. I thought that there was a real respect there. There was a real like, and not to say that there aren't moments, but I feel like yeah. every moment of that was completely undercut by the fact that uh, Walter White, even mild mannered, nice Walter White is a utter piece of shit. He was a piece of shit before this show started, before the, 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 the Heisenberg came in there, just in different ways. You know what I mean? He yeah. really looks down on most people because he is dissatisfied with his station in life, thinks he should be above it, but does nothing to improve it either. You know, when mm-hmm. we start the show. And I think it's a very interesting thing about some guy who hates he essentially kind of hates Jesse, but it's not because he hates Jesse. He just really fucking hates himself. And that's pretty abundantly clear in these early episodes. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, much like, you know, we're talking about how like the first couple of seasons aren't on the level that the last few are. And, and part of that is like baked into the design of the show. Like they were still figuring out what the show was. I think I know he had an end game in mind, but not how they would get there. I read about like how they would write the show and it's really fucking interesting. Um, but like much like Walt and Jesse, you know, starting out and figuring things out and stumbling along the way, show is figuring shit out too. Like how big is the scope going to be? Because you listen to that premise, like the elevator pitch for Breaking Bad is a high school, brilliant high school chemistry teacher is diagnosed with cancer and starts cooking meth to provide for his family after he's gone. And, like, I remember hearing about that and thinking, like, this show, how are they going to, like, you know, logically extend this show past a season or two if right. he's terminally ill with cancer? Like, how long can that last? But the show fucking answers that question. Well, do you know what's interesting about that? It brings up a whole other thing. Uh, once upon a time, you and I got into a conversation about 
what's the difference between films and TV, right? Like certainly the production values, the writing, the acting, that gulf's completely closed. So what's the difference? And I think I said, it's about time. It's about how time passes, uh, how much time you get to spend, how sometimes we're going really, really fast, right? But in a film, not to say it doesn't happen in TV, but in a film, a scene ends, a new scene begins, an indeterminable amount of time has passed. It could be a day, it could be a week, it could be an hour, it could be anything. But Breaking Bad, the entirety of the, let's call it five seasons, even though it, it aired as six, technically, yeah. uh, two years, I believe. It, the whole thing takes place in two years. So we uh, tripled the amount of time that we spent with those characters while they stayed in a, in a certain form of stasis, which is ridiculous because every character changes so much in that amount right. of time. But it's, it's, it's like really fascinating to me that that's kind of how they you know, approached that. Um, yeah. and, but, you know, spoiler alert, he goes into remission at some point, which for anyone else, I think that's like the great thing about this, right? Is like, mm-hmm. so you try to like pinpoint, oh, when can that guy have just walked away and been good? And there are multiple like, hey man, you got three exits before the bridge. All right, two, right. motherfucker, you got one last exit before the bridge. And like, there are a couple different times, but you said this to me and I thought this was very interesting because I hadn't really thought about that yet, which is you said in the first season, I believe it's episode, it's called five. Uh, mm-hmm. we get some more expositional backstory. We had seen a little bit, I believe in episode three, where we see him kind of deconstructing uh, what is, what, what's the human body composed of? What makes a human, right? right. Uh, and this is while they're cleaning up the remains of the uh, acid right. uh, bathtub that has fallen through the thing. Right, it's intercutting with that and he's in its younger, more brilliant Walt, or not more brilliant, but younger, more successful Walt you know, breaking down like this percentage here for the body and they, they're left with like a remaining zero 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 point two three percent that they can't identify. What is that? Well, that's such a great episode. A couple of things I like about that. One, uh, just from an acting standpoint, he's more successful. Therefore, he's got a fucking swag. That Walter White we see in that yeah. flashback ain't the Walter the White. Back we's... hair and everything. And he's he's just... like, he's a fucking rock star, dude. He's like, I don't know, I got the biggest cock in here. I don't give a shit. Uh, and and but that serves a couple purposes. One that he was successful. One that he did. A, he had a different swagger as opposed to like the almost neutered man that we now know uh, in the beginning yeah. of the show. But it also introduces Gretchen. Gretchen uh, becomes important to the, I guess, mythology of the Walter White of it all because Mm -hmm. uh, they had a thing at one point. But Gretchen and Elliot are these two characters that are running a ridiculously successful business uh, company called Gray Matter. And we we got hints of it, but we don't really know that until episode five. Episode five, he ends up going to a birthday party and you get to see like this juxtaposition between like, he's living a very respectable middle-class life. There's nothing wrong with the life Walter White had. That's the problem is that he deemed that it was all wrong. That, right. you know, he we, sh- well, we open on him as a character and he's this like, you know, he's Mr. Chips, right? He's, he's this, like you said, kind of neutered guy, but like you look at how he interacts with his son and Skylar and everything. And he's kind of in a daze all the time, but his family's happy mm-hmm. and safe. And like everything is mostly okay. They're struggling with bills a little bit. They'll figure it out. They're together. They're in on it together. And like at some point, Walter decides that like he doesn't want that or that that's not good enough or that that's not an option for him anymore. Well, I think that's an interesting thing, especially when we sort of compare it to like Better Call Saul, right? And I do want to get back to the, to the you know, inciting incident of it, but it's like this was a show about necessity the situation necessitated that Walter White go into this life, right? Uh, But when he made enough money to get out, he didn't. When the cancer goes into remission, he doesn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, That there are all these opportunities for him to go back to what he knew and he can't do it because he never thought he deserved that life and now he's above that shit, which is really terrifying. Yeah, but, uh, as I had said to you, like the Gretchen Elliott thing, is that where you were going to... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Yeah, no, uh, Vince Gilligan in an interview because um, people are always trying to chart, like, where is it that... Walter officially broke bad. What what is the point of no return for this character? And Vince Gilligan always said like it wasn't when he let Jesse's girlfriend Jane die. It wasn't when he caused that plane crash or anything he did in season three or four. It was literally in this episode four or five, whatever it was, where Gretchen and Elliot hear about his diagnosis, offer him money and a job, right? Right. And to come like, back to gray matter yeah. and uh, like a huge like healthcare package and everything like the, everything that he could ever need to be fine and make sure his family is successful and happy and safe after he's gone and he chooses not to do it he chooses to fucking cook meth in an rv with his junkie dropout uh student 
that says everything you kind of need to know about that character, right? Like, mm-hmm. just in terms of, like, uh, it goeth before the fall, right? This fucking pride that he has that he can't let go of. And it's, it's obviously detrimental to not just him, but to kind of everyone around him. And I think it's a fascinating kind of uh, choice. But you're right. That can almost be traced back to that exact moment. And I think that's really fucking sad. Um, a couple of things I did, you know, like, look, as great as that show is, there are some problems with it. You've said it's got a little overtly writery parts that are still well written but like yeah it's like editing like editing good editing you never notice it you know what i'm saying like it's the same thing with really great writing it's not like wow that was such a well-written scene it's like well it was but you don't fucking yeah like like, i would say and again i I think that that's just a little bit growing pains and these are again minor nitpicks the show is never bad ever there's not a bad episode of breaking bad period um but i would say the first season or two it, it is like a little bit more evident, like that somebody broke this story. Whereas in seasons three, four, five, it feels like this like tightly wound like watch, you know, like everything, the gears are already turning, the characters are informing where it goes. They know who these people are. They know who they will be. And they just well, they're like, set on their, they're set on their paths and nothing's yeah. going to stop that. And it, it feels very smooth. And, and I would say like, that's a, perfect point to bring up is like the inevitability of everything like everybody just feels like they're locked on this terrible track and they can't get off the fucking roller coaster you know yeah and it's something that we can see much like a car crash happening in slow motion where it's like fuck no but we can't turn away at the same time like we know the fates that are going to befall these people to an extent um like and that's a good example so let me bring this up like character wise um hank is fascinating to me as well on paper from the very beginning think about what this show is about hank Mm -hmm. is a foil that's all he really is he's a dea agent who's in the family he Mm -hmm. is a fucking meth meth cooker like that's gonna overlap at some point right right it's fascinating about that too is again just the nature of how cranston plays him later seasons you see heisenberg and he's actually like a formidable and scary imposing character but he's such a fucking weasel and so so uh neutered like i said earlier that like there are so many clues in this first season that if hank would just take off the soft bigotry of his low expectations of walter Mm -hmm. he would figure this shit out immediately but doesn't because no fucking way could he do that you know like i really it's real commentary on pride in general i feel like the men in this fucking show are just like they think that they're, you know, that they're beyond reproach, that, the, that they're so brilliant in their respective fields that, that everything there is to know, they already know. They can't be taught or learned, you know? Yeah. It, literally every, um, minus Lydia Rodark Quail, like <laughs> every bad thing that happens in this show is generated by male arrogance. Right. <laughs> So what you're saying is Gilligan's a real feminist, man. He was right. I mean, it's a show predominantly with males, but that's how you have to tell it in Trump's right. America, you know? And not to get too scattershot here, but like looking back, it's insane to me the amount of backlash that Skyler got as a character for literally playing a woman who is like trapped in an abusive, um, psychotic relationship by the end. Here's the thing. I, uh, I agree with you on that, but watching this first season, I find myself really hating Skylar, but for pure, like not the, here's the thing when she finds out and she's like, Hey, I don't want my fucking children exposed to that. She's absolutely justified. People hate her because she's the nagging wife. And we've seen that before. We saw that with Carmelo Soprano, right? It's not like it's this thing that is completely outside of what we've known, but in the early episodes, I get mad at her because it's like Walter wants to die. Walter wants to at least choose how he goes out, right? Which I think is an admirable thing. And Mm -hmm. everything that she's... And again, you understand her, but I sort of hate her. I'm just like, this ain't your decision. Like, I know it affects you. I get that. But this is about him, and he should be able to choose. And And that's interesting, though. um, Because I, I think if you look at how that character is drawn in the first season, especially like early Walter White to us, is this neutered guy like she's practically tying his uh, shoelaces for him because mm-hmm. he's impotent in every way like he's just this sad sack like even down to the fucking mustache the sad little mustache and his sad little car and his sad little job and his sad little side job at the car wash and everything like she's had to fucking for better or worse and i hate to use this phrase wear the pants in that relationship because that dude is defeated and has been for years Right. And that plays, and he plays that so well too. 
Well, I mean, what the crux of the entire show, I mean, I think Skylar's obviously there, but she's always been peripheral. It's weird because, like, the relationship of that show is Jesse and Walt. Always kind of is, kind of was, will always be. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they sort of fuck with this in the El Camino movie. But Mm -hmm. what I was really, like I said, blown away by is, like, watching that now. It's not like he was ever nice to Jesse. He started from an, uh, a, a level of like, I think you're a bug. I don't like you. You're stupid. Like you're, yeah. Like, why am I even wasting my time being around you? It lowers me. And this mm-hmm. is a guy who like, again, respectable life, but you ain't nobody guy. Like, who the fuck are you? And it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting to kind of watch that and kind of track it. Jesse is like extremely sympathetic, very annoying in the first season. I want to point out. But like sympathetic, he's like a character that I understand. There's, the, there's that episode where he tries to get a job. He puts on a suit and all that. And he wants to be a salesman. And then he's like, you got to spin the fucking cardboard thing. You know, it's like. Yeah, and you see how his parents treat him and everything. I mean, if you want to talk about characters like Jesse is really wonderfully drawn because he could have been a cartoon character. Right. He kind of is a little bit at the start. He's cat, Captain Cook and he's putting chili pea in his meth to <laughs> give it a signature. Give it a kick. Like he's, yeah. yeah, he's a fucking joke. Um, but you get to know him like that. That scene in season three really sold me on his character, Kafka-esque, where he, um, I, th- I think he gives a monologue at like a, uh, is it like a Narcotics Anonymous? Or no, something that's like Problem that? Dog, brother. Problem Dog oh, in problem season four. Dog. Yeah, okay, that's, that's the fucking one, because that is like, what, I think the moment where- like the box and everything, and yeah. it's like, is that, is that all you got? Is that all you can do? This teacher that like, just challenged him a little bit, not in a mean way, and- yeah, that just speaks to like the untapped potential of Jesse Pinkman because nobody's ever given him a shot before. Which again, I think that that's the thing is Cranston is doing award-winning work and he won a bunch of awards and, and so did uh, Aaron Paul. Like, I mean, he mm-hmm. was great, but I think that's the thing is like, I don't think anyone was really ready for him to elevate that character the way it did. And obviously it was on the page as well, but mm-hmm. going back, like, and that's, I'm, that's what I'm most fascinated about watching this now. The last episode I just saw, he just blew up Tuco's shit. I'm on episode six of the first season, or episode seven of the of the Which first I, season. I love that that like wins Tuco's respect. <laughs> right? I was like, okay, wait, you you blew up his thing and you didn't even kill him. By the way, you just like caused property damage that he's gonna have to explain to someone. There's a lot of shit that happens in the show where I'm like, okay, look, you blew up that Mercedes. Do you think they didn't see you on the fucking gas station camera? Do you remember that? There's like that fucking yeah. asshole who like. There's so yeah, much shit which that I happens. love that they bring that guy back for Better Call Saul, by the which way. Which I totally forgot until I watched this, and I'm like, oh shit, it's the, literally the same guy. It's not like they got the same actor to come back and play a different dude. It's the same right. guy. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I'm spending a lot of time in the first season. I apologize. So I think we should kind of make our way through it. Um, when we talk about like what that show is, Gus Fring doesn't even come into it until season three. Gus Fring kind of ultimately becomes the big bad of sorts. Well, does he come into it? Doesn't he come into it? End of, end season, of season two. two. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Mm-hmm. Like where they first meet. Yeah. But again, you don't know who he is. You don't yeah. know the, the the depth of his depravity and and so on and so forth. It's like really interesting. That's the thing. Like it's a show that has so many different iconic characters. Like yeah. legitimately. Like uh, Gus Fring is amazing. Tuco or Theo Salamanca, right? Hector yeah. Salamanca. I mean, if we're breaking this down by character, let's talk about Gus Fring then. If you're cool with it, because I, think I would that, love it. Like, yeah, as some as somebody who is in the show less than someone like Marie or even Hank, like he looms large over that show. Is like he's the man in black, pretty much. He's the right. fucking the big bad, and you could argue that he's not uh, good or evil. He's he's um, practical, yeah. right? That uh, that entire season, season three, is about Walter and Jesse succumbing to the corporatization of a uh, a, a scrappy little startup. And right. like how a man with the pride that Walter White has uh, deals with having a boss again and having rules that he has to follow and having a fucking a punch in clock and a punch out clock. Like it's very interesting that like the root of that conflict isn't that Walt, you know, needs to kill him in order to live. He makes mistakes that forces Gus to put him in that position in the first place. Right, like again, we talk about the. Uh, all right, there was like last exit before the before the bridge, and then Gus Fring comes and is just like, "Hey, I got a secret uh, like trap door on this bridge, bro. I got you. <laughs> like, you can get mm-hmm. back to where you want." Because he offers him like, "Yo, I will make you fucking richer beyond your fucking imagination. Just do this. It'll be mm-hmm. fine. Can't do it." At every turn when this guy is given the thing that he so desperately wants, he can't do it because it's like this weird fucking pride thing. And yeah, Gus Fring is, is a really interesting character because we get 
just enough background exposition on him to kind of yeah. know who he is. We know right. what his beginnings are while at the same time not knowing anything about him before a certain point. Like, that's what's really interesting to me is this giant question mark mm-hmm. of, like, Gus Fring and uh, Pinochet's Chile, right? Like, that's fucking mm-hmm. amazing to me. But instead, we pick up uh, the, the beginning of the cartel and all that stuff. And uh, you kind of nailed it. Not evil, certainly capable of evil. Uh, but more than anything, Negocio, he's a businessman, dude. Like, all he cares about is keeping everything completely fucking clean, like, yeah. to, to, to get the benefits of this empire without ever fucking doing it because he's smart enough to know we don't need to be shooting each other. We can bring the cartel. We can bring this whole thing into a new generation. Right. I, I think that Gus Spring, if anything, like, his introduction to the show as a counterpoint to Walter um, kind of illustrates that Walter or brings into light the idea that Walter is really the villain in this story. He's the villain to himself. He's his own antagonist. He's his own worst enemy. He's uh, a villain to Jesse an antagonist to Jesse. He's an antagonist to the safety of everyone around him because like the whole metaphor of cancer in this show, the idea that like cancer just spreads and spreads and consumes everything. Like Walter is the cancer at the end of the day. Everything he touches turns to shit. Season two really gets into that with the framing device of the plane crash that Walter inadvertently causes. I'm curious what you think about that. Um, We can get to that in a second. But yeah, I think it's interesting that like Gus Fring is forced to deal with Walter. Um, Walter, in relation to Gus Fring, like reveals that he's the fucking, he's the problem. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like you, what you realize is that even though it's a world populated by people doing bad things, that none of them are necessarily as bad as this ineffectual, wimpy, little feckless asshole. You know what I'm saying? Who literally everything he touches turns to shit. Um, relationships, his personal relationships, the community. <laughs> like, there's a lot of bad shit that just happens. Like, I, you know, that's the weird thing about it. To kind of go to your point about the, the plane crash thing. Which is like, how do you go from there? Like, you've already kind of illustrated in an expositional sense, in a narrative sense, that this guy has caused such damage, not just to his own personal life, but literally right. things are falling out of the sky and destroying properties in New Mexico, you know what I mean? Because of his actions. And right. so you figure like, oh, that might be like the water point in terms of showing his societal damage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think wisely, he didn't try to do that again i think it, yeah very smart i think at that point it's like uh, the, the only thing you top are the emotional stakes of this you know what i mean mm-hmm. um i think that that's an experiment that works really great the first time you're watching it i think it, i think season two while having some of the most incredible emotional beats up until that point right mm-hmm. certainly an improvement over season one in terms of the emotional things that happen these character moments they're like oh fuck but it is something upon rewatch it's like ah well you know, like that's a writery <laughs> moment. You talking about writery yeah. moments? That's it right there. It's like, oh, yeah. someone thought that would be really fucking cool to do. And, and to be they fair, did. it was cool on first watch, exactly yeah. like you said, but it does feel a little gimmicky. Um, then season three, I think, is when the show just sort of gets catapulted into a new uh, right. tier. Well, I don't know how about you. Let's do that. I mean, yeah, season three clearly that's when everything happens. But that's that's we get half measures, full measures, those back to back twelve and thirteen, which are really amazing. But there's a bunch of episodes. The fly, thank you. Uh, I mean, favorite episode of this show, by the way. It's very strange that that would be your favorite episode, but I also understand completely why that would be your favorite episode. (laughs) At the same, like that would be something for our our single issues, our one shots. Like if we did movies and shit on Breaking Bad, it wouldn't be Ozymandias for me. It would be Fly. Like right, just but you understand entire show in one episode. But you understand why Ozymandias is is what it is in people's minds, right? Because Mm -hmm. within the context of the show, it is the the high. It's the watershed moment. But if you want to talk about the distillation of it uh, the fly mm-hmm. is pretty much the perfect example of kind of what it's yep. going to be directed by last jedi director ryan johnson both of them both of them yeah uh champ. A very quick swerve is there something about a coma is there like a weird incel last jedi coma thing that people are always harping on I, I every time i see a news story there's some asshole in the comments who's just like we don't need the office reboot imagine if it was the office reboot in a coma subverting expectations that's what people keep saying now, and I think it's a dig at Last Jedi, but I don't understand it. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. Ryan Johnson, fucking great. Thank you for doing some of the best episodes of the show. He's a wonderful director. Let me ask you this. Many atrocities committed, right? The, the mm. plane crash. Jane, I, w- I would always say this. Like Upon my first watch, I did think that Jane was the moment where he crossed that threshold where he wasn't going to be able to come back. 
what's so phenomenal about that scene in particular, right? Kristen Ritter joins the cast, does a really great job. as a fully realized character, too. I think that that's what's really wonderful about her is they give her something to work with. We see her yeah. as a functioning human being who right. flips backslide city and just completely swan dives into that old habit and that old life. But for me, I had always said that what's amazing about that scene is that Walter didn't go over there to kill Jane. He didn't mean to do anything. And when that scene's happening and he realizes what's happening, there's this look on Cranston's face where you can tell that he is literally wrestling with it and he doesn't know what he wants to do. And I've always maintained that like that he's, he's acting so fucking amazing in that scene that you Mm -hmm. feel like if she would have kept gurgling for one second, two more seconds, he would have done something. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like he was still there, but then that's the moment where he's like, oh, well, I guess my hands are fucking dirty. <laughs> like none of the other shit had mattered yeah. to him at that point. Uh, I think that's like a wonderful thing, but does that rank, like where does it rank in the Walter White atrocities throughout the entire series? Because there are plenty. Yeah. He poisons a child. So that's something. Um, can't forget that. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, it might be. <laughs> he, he does some pretty uh, fucking unforgivable shit following that, you know? And, and I would say uh, that's honestly kind of low on the list. I hate to say it. It's high on the list because of the emotional trauma that it causes Jesse, somebody right. who in, in some ways Walter has a kind of fatherly uh, approach to a relationship right. with. But then, like, in, in some ways, you could also argue, like, he knows and cares about Jesse more than his own child. He barely interacts with his son at all. Right. Um, he barely interacts with his infant daughter. Um, but then, on the other hand, it's like he didn't really do anything. It was just inaction that caused that. Right. I mean, that's a very, uh, like just thinking about that, too, because that's not something that gets paid off until the final season where he mm-hmm. knows about Jane, you know? Um, I think that the show really can be broken down into three eras of Breaking Bad, as weird as that sounds, which is like the first two seasons, right? Which they're great. They're really wonderful. There's the era of Gus Fring, right? There's the era of Heisenberg and the Nazis. Like that's basically what, what the last season kind of devolves into, which by the way, like I understand like once you have a Gus Fring, where do you go? And I guess it's Nazis. (laughs) Like that's the the only dark Knight rises of it all. Right. Like, where do you go after Joker? I just get a fucking Bane. I don't know. Right. Get Bane and a couple of It doesn't matter. It's not about him. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's true. Right. The Nazis, they're, they're, they're they're there as a placeholder for being bad. Like they're there to uh, complete everyone else's story. They're they're not doing anything. Like a symptom of the disease that is Walter. The only one that gets any kind of real emotional time is uh, Meth Damon, right? Jesse uh, Plemons? Is that his name? Jesse Plemons? Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, no, he, uh, and he, and he is rightfully good. But I think it's interesting about that is we've seen Walter White uh, not intervene when Jane is dying. Uh, we also know that Walter White poisoned a child. That was his weird endgame to make sure that he could get to Gus Fring or at least get Jesse back on his side. Mm-hmm. What's amazing about that is then when Jess, uh, when, when Meth Damon ends up fucking killing that kid in the, the train robbery episode, which I'm blanking on the name, but Dead wonderful. Uh, Dead Freight, that's right. Just uh, that today, well, it's yeah. like for a second you realize that, okay, maybe – Maybe he isn't like he still has some kind of moral code. I mean, he poisoned a child, but like the the precipice between fucking him and Matt Damon in that moment, he can't fucking understand, right? Like right. he thinks he's so much better than this guy who committed this horrible thing, and it is horrible. But it's like, bro, you didn't do much better. <laughs> like you still poisoned yeah. a fucking child. You use a child as a prop for your own bullshit, man. That's horrific. Right. I mean, he's he's always justifying the things that he does to himself with uh, under the umbrella of, well, I'm doing it for my family. And then it, the last episode, he admits to Skylar, no, I did it because I liked it. Um, but I think that like when you see him like horrified at the atrocities that are happening and everything, it's like, eh, I think homie's just lying to himself. Right. <laughs> like he could have killed that kid. He could have miscalculated. You're no better than Jesse Plemons. Not the great Walter White. But that's the point, the pride. Like, oh, I I know exactly what I'm doing. I would never endanger a child, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, just in terms of like being like crazy sociopaths, now I get it's Cranston saying lines that were written for him. However, the indignancy, right, that he has where he's like, I would never poison a child, you know what I mean? That shit. Right. You're like, you're a fucking sociopath guy, like, because you know that you've done this and you can still bring yourself to these levels of emotion. Again, the benefit of reading uh, Donna Bowman's recaps in Steppenwall too, but Donna Bowman brought up this wonderful point about Walter White, which is that when you watch how Cranston plays that character, um, he 
is constantly trying and he gets better at it, but he's constantly trying throughout the series because he's so arrogant and holds his intelligence in such high regard. He thinks that there's always going to be a combination of words that he can find to convince somebody of something at any given moment. And he's just not very good at it. And a lot of the time he's trying to convince himself too. So like when you're watching the indignity, like the indignant, like, whatever like that's more fully evolved walter like just coming into his own and being able to lie to himself effectively right and lie to somebody else in the beginning of the show he's not as good and that's just such a like wonderful little grace note that they never really like explicitly state but if you watch the show from the beginning terrible liar just yeah. everybody like knows he's impotent so they would never expect him he's clark kent but right. as it goes on like excellent liar to a scary degree well, and, and that's I, like I, the evolution there. Well, and that's the great thing. I was talking about Hank earlier, and that's someone I, I do want to take a, a lap with if we can, which Hank mm -hmm. is a really interesting character. He doesn't start out that way, very one note and very fratty. And it's not like that ever goes away, but you mm -hmm. do start to see uh, like some real depth to that guy. There's a scene that I always remember. I believe it's the, let's call it the season three or season four finale. Uh, where he goes and, and something really terrible has just happened, I forget, but he goes to Walter and he talks about that summer job he had yeah. where he went in and he would uh, tag the trees to be taken down. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, I looked at that scene being like, oh, nice to meet you, Hank. Like, I finally kind of know who you are as, as a yeah. character. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, he's a fucking fratty dumbass and he's a little bit racist, kind of, you know? Like, yeah, he, like he's a gomi, Gomez. <laughs> It's a lot of bad shit yeah, going on. Yeah, Gobi, you, you fucking beaners, you just love it. Well, they, the first season, he's like the death of a of a culture. He's like a thriving culture. Hank, he's like, yeah, it's a car that goes up and down. Gomi. <laughs> uh, but but you know that's a guy where like you know it's been memed to death. But the the leaves of grass. Yeah. Well, minerals too. <laughs> yeah. Because right. if you're on the Breaking Bad subreddit at the time those seasons were airing, it was full of nothing but memes of hank and his minerals oh he really likes yeah. minerals they literally there's a separate subreddit just dedicated to comics with hank talking about minerals it's great <laughs> Still it's like active. cyanide and happiness but with minerals and fucking hank i love it just terribly yeah i'll send you some you'll you'll appreciate it um that guy goes through a very interesting journey too because he's a, he's a physical guy he's very like oh, I'm, a, I'm a cowboy baby basically uh but then we get that really phenomenal episode in season three where, where we start to have more of the um the cartel come into play right yeah uh i think it's called like one minute or something or i forget exactly what it's called but it's it's when he's in the parking lot and he gets an anonymous call from fucking gus fring we later find out but he knows like people are coming after you and that's when the the twins the brothers right they come and they just shoot out in the parking line it's fucking horrific and amazing yeah. and you don't know if he's going to get out of it but that's an interesting thing because that's the moment where homie starts to really hone in on what's going on even though he's caught completely unawares let's keep in mind the the, the, the they split the last season into uh two seasons of eight but mm -hmm. he doesn't know that walter is fucking heisenberg until, until halfway through the eighth episode of the fucking last and again season. such a preventable thing totally the consequence of walter's fucking arrogance why would you just leave that lying around man i just oh what a fucking idiot anyway and that's the right. point it's like you're right it's just the arrogance and the pride thinking yeah. that he is he's above it's, everyone Ugh. it's the same reason that serial killers like brag about their crimes and shit and talk to cops about like hey how do you catch a murderer you know <laughs> it's like the same shit because like he can't help himself but take credit for the great work he's done Right. Well, I mean, when he gets paralyzed, that we see a different side of him. You know, he's yeah. got a long road to recovery. He's going to be in a wheelchair well, for a we, long time. We see him as a detective. Like, he's actually a ferociously good investigator and very smart. It's sort of like that turn. I always bring it up as an example, but it's great. The client in The Office Season 2 where you realize Michael Scott isn't a complete idiot. Like, right. he can fucking turn it on when he needs to. Well, it was great because I think that it's not that he wasn't a good detective always. It's just that we hadn't spent time in that world. He wasn't the guy right. doing the investigating. It was the guy going in there, cracking skulls and fucking taking down cartels. Different. Yeah. Uh, but obviously he got to this point for a reason. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like he was very good. And I think that's when the show really kind of entered into it kicked into that high gear is because you had now you had fucking Hercule Poirot coming after you, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like right. you had you had a fucking sleuth who was like he didn't have the physicality. All he had was his mind. And he's working that shit out every day trying to figure something out. And even with that, to Walter's credit, he's that smart, but he's also that arrogant, right? He, yeah. he, he was able to kind of avoid it for the longest time. 
Um, I think I keep thinking back. I mean, you know, we talked about Ozzy Mandy's talk about the fly, you know, both uh, Ryan Johnson episodes, but that episode also shows another side of Hank. It's not that we didn't see that it was there, but it's just like um, weird comparison. I think it didn't make you watch for a few dollars more. The, the second movie in the dollars trilogy ever now, maybe. Perhaps. Possibly like way back in the day. Way back when. All right. So it the whole movie's Lee Van Cleef. You don't know what he's doing, but you know he's seeking revenge on this person. He interacts with Clint Eastwood and shit like that. We get to the very, very end of the movie, right? And he finally finds Indio. Indio is this guy. He's like, I'm gonna fucking kill this guy, right? He killed my sister and I'm gonna enact revenge. But right when he's going to enact revenge, he gets disarmed and mm-hmm. it's just him. And Indio's there. And Indio's like wants him to grovel and wants him to like fucking do it. But Lee Van Cleef's like, nah, man. Like, I will fuck. I'm too goddamn honorable to ever get, like die on my fucking knees. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And I thought that was a beautiful. I remember that stuck with me as a kid, stuck with me now as an adult. And uh, I had never really felt that except for Hank in that episode uh, in Ozymandias, where like yeah. he. I don't know. I don't know. I'm and, sorry. And, I'm like and I, I, well, I, I heard an interview recently with Dean Norris where he, who plays Hank, who talked about, you know, the end of his character. He knew he was going to die. And he just said to Vince Gilligan, I just have one request. I want Hank to be able to look the person in the eye who's going to kill him and like have a moment to process that. I don't want him to just like die and not know it, get shot in the back of the head. And Vince Gilligan was like, don't worry. We're going to have you know about it for like a good 10 minutes. Oh, man. That's yeah. so fucking mad. I mean, that's the thing. That's the execution of it is so wonderful. But I think that, you know, he was always initially a foil, like you said, uh, so impotent that even though there were plenty of signs early on in season one, right? Yeah. Could never fathom that mm-hmm. it was him. And Walter sort of continues on, like, on luck. <laughs> on luck yeah. and on low because expectations he's not being he's not being careful at he's all buying he's he's flaunting his wealth he's blowing up fucking mustangs and parking lots and i'm like, gambling <laughs> what? yeah what i don't know that was like, like there's so many times where cars. there's so many times where you're just like all right man like yeah. <laughs> you're fucking this up you know like it's a, in better call saw there's the guy who was in uh who was in the office for the last couple seasons he buys that hummer with like mm-hmm. flames on the side and it's just like dude <laughs> got to get rid of this um but yeah i I think that you know that's another one of those heartbreaking moments i also think that that's one of the moments when we talk about transformations again i think heisenberg dies for a moment when hank Mm -hmm. dies i think that it's the first time he realizes like i was never ready for this you know in in the script writing stage again uh for that episode um there's a lot of material on that episode just because of how big a deal it is but um I think it was Cranston who was saying that he understood that moment where Walter White just completely collapses in the desert after that shot goes out, where Walter, for the first time ever really in the show, fully understands that this is all his fault. That this is all the result of every choice he's made. And he can't fucking, he shuts down. He can't deal with that. And like you said, yeah, Eisenberg dies. Heisenberg dies and I'm not even sure if Heisenberg ever really comes back even in the in the uh, Felina or whatever I think that's Walter White coming back like uh, as as a worse person but um, I think that it's it's one of like one of the most tragic deaths in a show that's filled with tragic deaths and I think we'd be really remiss uh, if we don't bring up a couple side characters right because this is a show again there's a spinoff Better Call Saul right like uh, he's an iconic character Mike Ehrmantraut I think is another wonderful fucking addition who I would I would say as wonderful as he is in uh, Breaking Bad I'm so grateful we get Better Call Saul the dimensions that we get from him in Better Call Saul are like the reasons that Better Call Saul for me has kind of eclipsed Breaking Bad on an emotional level sure like Breaking Bad again is like that perfectly wound watch that just ticks perfectly on time every time Better Call Saul, like, just gets into, like, under the skin of all those people you thought you knew. Better Call Saul gets the benefit of, like, all right, I'm playing with house money. Y'all motherfuckers like Breaking Bad, right? So I'm going to tell my story at the slowest fucking pace ever. We're going to do what I want to do, and it works so well. It's like... I, you know, I when I, when that was first announced, I'm sure just like me, you were yeah. like, no. We all collectively were like, why? <laughs> That's a bad uh, idea. But they, they, to their credit, they've earned every bit of goodwill to the point where I'm like, I'm not even mad about the Breaking Bad movie, to be completely honest. I mean, I don't, I still think it's a bigger risk than Better Call Saul was ever going to be, but I don't yeah. think, like, I trust them as my point. I think that, they know what they're said, doing. The weird thing about Better Call Saul is if you watch the introduction of Bob Odenkirk's character in season two, Mm -hmm. like the cartoon character that he is 
they still can't do enough groundwork to like make to get him there that he get he goes from Jimmy to that <laughs> because he's like hitting on Francesca his secretary and everything right just like man you got an ass that won't quit ha 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 well in season like four that. don't they do a brief flash forward and we see Francesca and uh, mm-hmm. which I thought was like oh shit like we're finally kind of uh, getting into Breaking Bad territory which is a little interesting yeah um, well she's she's the initial secretary for. Uh, Bob for their, yeah, 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 yeah. Little law firm thing, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, Ermin Trout, uh, I think is is really wonderful. And again, they get to kind of serve in there. Are there any like other characters that you wanted to kind of take a second with? I mean, I would say Hector Salamanca is another really interesting character that, again, Better Call mm-hmm. Saul gives us so much more of. Yeah, I mean, the the Salamancas in general, um, are a force on that show. Like, they're always like a force of nature like a storm brewing out there somewhere, right. um, which is really interesting. Like they also are a wonderful counterpoint to Gus Spring and that they get more into that in Better Call Saul, like what Gus's relationship is with um, Hector and like why that went south so quickly. And it's like, they are polar opposites in every way. Right. Like how they conduct business, how they are towards people, how Hector is all like fiery, you know, uh, impulsive decision-making and Gus is nothing but reserved poker face betray nothing calculated i think it's really interesting also kind of a terminator i remember that one scene where there's like there's gunfire in the desert and he just walks out like what yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they don't do a goddamn thing like this motherfucker's a cyborg man this mm-hmm. is amazing and then also um, when he gets half of his face blown off and still is able to adjust his tie before collapsing muscle memory man muscle memory <laughs> muscle I, I heard something uh <laughs> i heard something which i thought was really interesting which was uh that sequence right just the door blowing off and shit took one month to film and again yeah. i just think i think people like sometimes think they put a camera there and they do it it's like nah mm-hmm. dude like yeah. filmmaking is hard like filmmaking is very 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 hard to the yeah. point where that scene which i think we all agree is like it's a punctuation on an amazing season and a, at the end of an arc and it it, mm-hmm. it uh signals the beginning of this new version of what breaking bad's going to be because again i think it's three different shows with the same name uh same characters they just kind of continue to do these different things i think it's like an incredible scene but it, even that's built into the emotions even right. though they didn't do a lot with Hector Salamanca, they did just enough that you know who he is. You know his relationship specifically with Gus Fring and like why this means so much. Like in a weird way, it's like this is the only way it could have ended. You know what I mean? It's this beautiful, yeah. beautiful ending for those people. But let's uh, let's try to bring this in, man. Let's talk about the final season if we can. Um, because uh, it's still the Breaking Bad that we know and love. We get Magnets, bitch, which is interesting. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of things going on in that last season. but. Uh, what about the final season do you love the most? Because do you think it's a it's a nearly perfect finale, or do you, do you see cracks in the armor? Like, what are your feelings on the final eight episodes specifically? Um, so I'm rewatching that season because I've seen seasons one through four. I was telling you off camera or mm-hmm. off mic uh, about that. Um, I've seen one through four like a few times over. Um, so that's like kind of seared in my brain. Season five less so. Uh, season five, I remember when it was airing, I wasn't crazy about splitting the season and I wasn't crazy about the flow of the episodes at first, mm-hmm. but rewatching it now, I'm appreciating it more because it really is just about like, this is Walt, uh, completely unleashed. You know, he's got the weight of the world off of his shoulders. This is who he is. And he's never more monstrous really than he is in, in that season. I don't think in the way that he talks to Skylar. She's basically like a prisoner at that point in her own home. Um, his kind of flippant attitude towards his family, towards the safety of others. Um, and then it all like turns into a horror show in the back half of that season, especially by Ozymandias. Like that is the culmination of, of every bad decision he's made, starting with Hank's death, um, with the complete destruction of his family. Like that scene is just like you, we've all seen it if anybody's listening, but like that scene when they're fighting and they have the knife and junior steps in and he's like protecting his mother and the look that he gives his father. I've always told you specifically that scene is amazing to me because the way it's framed uh, and there is the knife in frame and there's a 
phone in frame yeah. and it's like this decision right yeah. like what's gonna happen here and i'm like oh my god i'm not ready for this in that same scene he then kidnaps his own daughter like let's not correct in the, and, right and that in the skyler is in the middle of a suburban street with blood on her shirt screaming and crying and it's just like that that is never going to be okay again because multiple points in the show you feel like okay maybe walter can like just snap out of this and like figure this out and like go back to being a family man again but like by that point any like delusional hope that that would happen again is done and he knows right. it too there's some um, things you're not going to come back from specifically yeah. that you know what i mean um, right and just like him getting his comeuppance like you, you after a certain point you start kind of hating his character or at least i did like as a human being um but i didn't feel any satisfaction watching that happen or watching him realize it it wasn't like oh that's karma bitch it's just tragic all around yeah the the asshole jock in the beginning of the movie didn't get beat up by the geek at the end like you don't take you take zero pleasure from watching this thing disintegrate and and, and i think yeah that's really what i'm struck by in the especially the last three episodes because after ozymandias we get what granite state granite state yeah and then Felina. Felina, and they're so funereal, and like what little like enjoyments are had, like with him like figuring out plans to get money for his son from Gretchen and Elliot, and like having Badger and uh, what's his face like point lasers at him, or um, him with the the trunk trick where he has the automatic weapon in the trunk of his car that they're setting up the entire Pretty season. Pretty great, yeah. It, like they're fun, but most of that time that we spend with him he's just this sick haggard uh shell of a person and like you said he's walter white now like yeah. heisenberg's gone there's no joy in it for him he's able to admit to skyler like hey i did this because i enjoyed it i did it because i was good at it that's why i did it um yeah I, I i don't know what else i can really say about it that hasn't been said but i really appreciate just how uh soberly they treat those last few moments and how they really don't try to have their cake and eat it too. Cause if there is a criticism of this show, like getting into like the last valid criticism I've ever heard sure. is that the majority of the runtime, the show wants us to both abhor Walter White and like feel like joy or like celebrate when he succeeds. Like it's the joy of watching someone succeed and like how badass it is. And I'm the one who knocks I'm Heisenberg and, better believe it right you 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 can't admonish and admire simultaneously yeah and the the beauty of the last three episodes especially is that it takes no joy in seeing walter white succeed in his final plans there's none of that right i would say that in in the finale specifically it's like we're happy that the nazis are dead in that scene but there's nothing there's no cheering moment there's no celebratory moment it's just it's just one repeatedly shitty, horrific thing happening after another. And like the one thing, I mean, I'll say this, if you want to talk about the one little brief moment of joy, which they may totally take away from us now with this movie yeah. is like, I always love getting out. Yeah. Well, there's that scene. I've never loved Aaron Paul more that where he's just like screaming and he's, ha- he's crying and he's like, ah, like so happy to be out. And like, I'm like, he's, he got away, man. Like, Obviously, there was going to be questions about that. But for a moment, I was like, he got out, dude. And he deserves his fucking freedom, you know? That's the one happy moment that you get in an otherwise really downtrodden back half of the season. You said season, uh, the first half of that season is just unleashed Walter doing any and everything, right? Yeah. But what's it's interesting is the minute that Walt realizes, right? The Walt, the leaves of grass on the toilet scene. That is that sets into motion everything. All the all the comeuppance in the world's about to happen to this guy, and he doesn't know that. Uh, he he yeah. he he. Again, he failed upwards and yeah. thought that that was his trajectory always, not realizing that you were always Walter White. You're still a fucking impotent piece of shit. Like you had to literally create an alter ego to be this thing, and then we mm-hmm. took that away from you. And who are you now? You know. Right it's good shit dude i don't know i mean there there's there's certainly issues with it i'm i'm excited to maybe we'll do another follow-up after el camino because uh, yeah. i'll have watched it all over again and i'm sure we'll talk about el camino um but i i think it's it's you know it's we're it's now been 11 years since that premiered i think if there was a time for us to all look back and be like well that hasn't aged well it would have started to happen and it's like yeah show's gonna be around we're this far removed from it it's been six years since that show was on the air because it still feels like yesterday that I had friends coming over with fucking Mexican beers so we could watch Breaking Bad. 
I still feel like TV is living in the shadow of Mad Men and Breaking Bad. I do. I, not to say there weren't great stuff. I mean, I told, I adore The Leftovers, and I think that that was great peak TV and shit. Like, their yeah. succession is really wonderful now. But I, I just feel like we're still living. Like, we're waiting for that next show. For man. the next great drama. Yeah. yeah like no no the next like great capital g you know like oh, there are great yeah. dramas now like again succession i think is great i really do i think there's mm. some really good stuff on air it's just so far it ain't living up to what that is you know what i mean um, I, well i wonder if now if anything can break through at all because like we have so much and like breaking bad did come around at a time where like you said there were a couple of things on amc it was mad men and like fucking rubicon and like that was pretty much it uh, walking dead showed up um yeah. but there wasn't much competition and now like we've really kicked into high gear like how what does the show have to do to break through all of this greatness you know right lower case uh, little things like fleabag getting recognized i think has got to be really encouraging because it shows that even something as small as that without death and genre and all that shit you know what i mean it could still be recognized so it gives you hope but uh you know i i we're, you're right it's gonna be interesting i think i think it's like we're in the most interesting time ever i would say that because we're getting all these streaming things more people are buying content than ever so we're we're we're, go, we're taking chances on people mr robot is a really good example of this sml yeah. had never run anything up until yeah. that point but he wrote a really good script and they took a chance on him because they needed him yeah. And, and we got something really great. Really confident show that is for somebody who'd never done anything. Right. Um, fucking, it gives you hope. Uh, I I will ask you one final question sure. just before we sign off. Um, from El Camino, if anything, what are you hoping for? What are you expecting? It's a really interesting question. Um, what I don't want, and I know we're gonna get, is I don't want Walter White. I know that's everyone's sexy the thing, and they want uh, to get that again. And I don't really want that. I want a reason for it to exist beyond. Better Call Saul, we all thought was a vanity thing for Vince Gilligan to stay in that world longer. And then we were proven that there was a reason for that show. And, and to, in, to Vince Gilligan's credit, like the amount of restraint that they've shown, because I know Cranston would come back in a second, he has not had Walter White on that show yet. And it's in season, like just ended season four last right. year, right? So like, as far as restraint, that's a good sign. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the thing. I don't think that they're going to overdo it. If this was anyone else, if this was someone who got the right, if Sony sold the rights to some scribe and was like, do a Breaking Bad movie, that'd be worried about it. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I, that's a minor thing I'm worried about because I have faith in Vince and I don't think he'll fuck that up. Yeah. What I want out of it is, is like an evolution. I want to know what's next for that character, or maybe this is the end of that character. You know, that's certainly possible, but I need, right. I need to have a real reason for revisiting this. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. Um, I'm not. I'm gonna leave my expectations at the door as much as possible. But like you said, I don't want to watch something that's just not relevant anymore. I don't want to watch like a story that's just there because, you know, I want there to be like a an end game. And knowing Gilligan, there will be. Right. So. And again, it's it's really hard to kind of even discern what that movie's going to be because he has kept it under such wraps. You know, like have you have you heard about the lengths they went to make sure no one knew about this fucking movie? They they got a private jet, flew him in, like under the cover of darkness and stuff like that. Like they never yeah. let people on the sets. I mean, in most today's surveillance age, that's a miracle. That really is, yeah. Kind of no, is, and that's yeah. the other thing. That's why, like, if Walter White is in it, which I hope he's not, if yeah. he is, that's another like wow. Like the fact yeah. that no one snapped a photo. That uh, yeah. on a crew of 200 people, no one spilled the beans on that maybe, shit. Maybe they'll bring in like Walter's um, twin brother, Walter. Walter. <laughs> Walter White. Baltazar White. He's from the. Also a genius <laughs> chemist. And Jesse is the one who convinces him to break bad. Right. Uh, does he the talk? New series <laughs> Breaking Jesse. All right. He's got to sold me on that. I would actually watch that show. He's learned no lessons. He's come to play. Well, think about that. In the, in, in the scope of what that show is, a person get, learns everything and chooses not to heed those warnings, right? Like, yeah. continues to it's go down real, the path. It's a real Tony Soprano of it all, you know? Uh, I, I would say we're not going to get that. I think what we're going to see is just a, a, a man who... Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's called comedic timing. Uh, no, I, I, think, I think what we'll get, uh, again, without knowing anything that's going to happen, I think what we're going to get is just like is precisely that someone who realizes the situation they were in and desperately just wants their freedom because that's the interesting thing right is like when you've given up uh 
pride, right? Which is such a big part of the initial show. When you've given up pride, there's like no depths that people, that humans won't sink to, to live, just yeah. to live, man. And that's the mm-hmm. thing. This guy was held in a fucking basement in a hole, like at gunpoint, more or less, as a slave. Yeah. And like, he just wants to live and he'll do anything he can. Now, does that mean he's going to, like, is he redemptive? Is he going to have to kill his way out of that? I think like, it's a drama. <laughs> it's the yeah. Breaking Bad world. I, so I'm sure it will. But I, I just hope he finds Badger and goes to Zawadneho and just, you know. They are in that. Badger and Skinny Pete are both confirmed to be in the movie. So I, I think know. like, we'll I, see, I we'll saw see the something. extended trailer with Skinny Pete just being like, Y'all saw that cage he was in? I don't know. I just let my boy go. Even if I didn't know, I wouldn't tell you. I watched that very good. Not to go back. I just want to say Skinny Pete and uh, who's the big guy? What's the big guy's name? Do you remember? Badger? No, no, no. no. The big guy. The Mexican dude in the very beginning who gets shot in like season two by the kid. Uh, you don't remember this? Yeah. That's where he gets oh, the RV whoa, from. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's his fucking name? Combo. Combo. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Combo. <laughs> There's that combos. scene early where, where they're trying to uh, they're trying to uh, get him to like give him meth or whatever. He's like, "Look, I got a lot of weed. I'd love to give you some." He's like, "I think I'm a bounce." Like he's got the worst <laughs> friends in the world. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> anyway, man. Uh, look, I think that I think we took it into the station as much as we can. I'm really excited to do a follow up on this because I know that we we definitely because I'm sure there's things that are gonna happen in the movie that'll allow us to kind of be like go back and talk about mm-hmm. certain parts of the show. Um, but I'm very excited to do another one. Um, yeah, we, we should just like throughout our entire review, just put the music track, uh, just like El Camino by the Black Keys at full volume. Yeah. And just Drowns shout us over out. it. Yeah, yeah. Just shout over it as much as we can. Deal. I like that. All right, man. Uh, well, with that, I think we will be back next week with something. Yeah. Till then. S- see ya. <laughs> <laughs>